Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Good morning. It is good to see each and every one of you here today. I'm really excited about this morning's message. I'm just going to warn you, I didn't sleep well last night. Every time I woke up, I had my mes- this message on my mind, and I drank a lot of caffeine this morning. So if I, I talk a little fast, you better write very fast on the worship guide notes. But I'm really, really excited about the series that we're starting today called A Life-Changing Marriage. Today I'll be preaching about the subject of love. Pastor Lynn will be preaching next week. I won't give his information away quite yet. And then concluding, Pastor Aaron will close out the series with his uh, topic and subject. But I'm, I'm excited. In a couple of days, gentlemen, is Valentine's Day. Warning, just to let you know, if you haven't thought about anything yet, now's the time. Now's the time. I won't, I won't, I won't give it away, but there was a, 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 a husband who wanted to, all the flowers from the, uh, the uh, marriage conference so he can give to his wife. It, it was an upgrade from those he gets out of the cemetery. So, so I'm not saying you should do that. But we are here today to start our uh, series off, A Life-Changing Marriage, and the topic that I want to talk to you is about love, and I I came up with a sermon titled, What Does Love Got to Do With It? And to be honest with you, does that sound familiar? Yeah, Tina Turner kind of, you know, it kind of helped me along in my my, uh, sermon preparation, because when I was thinking about this particular subject, I thought about all those 80s songs. You like 80s music? I know some of you do. Right, right, Jay? That's right. Uh, so I wanted to, to share with you what I learned about love by listening to 80s music, right? I just want to share with you just for a moment just a few things that I've learned. First of all, I learned that we really don't know what love is, according to Forner, because I want to know what love is. Jay, you started singing it in your head, didn't you? Yes. Yes, but also what I, you know, if I just read the titles alone, the titles of songs, I really don't know what all these songs really mean. That's 80s music. What does it really mean? But, but what I learned is, is that love is also something that you can, that's expendable because Air Supply says, I'm all out of love. <laughs> I'm all out of love. So, so I, apparently love is something that you just, one day it just ends. That's it, honey. I'm sorry. I'm tapped out. That's all I got. But then I learned, according to Huey Lewis in the news, there's power in love. That's right. It has great power. I just want to look at my wife. I love you, babe. I love you. It's power. I'm getting Taco Bell for lunch power. But then, according to Robert Palmer, love is a dangerous thing. Do you know why? 
because you can be addicted to it. I, and I can only imagine, I need it. I need it. But then I got to turn negative a little bit because according to Pat Benatar, love is a battlefield. <laughs> it's a mess. Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if I want to experience this love. Because in following Pat Benatar, Jay Giles' band said love stinks. <laughs> Def Leppard says love bites. So I only conclude with what Tina Turner says. What's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? Boy, we can, if, if that's all we know about love is from 80s music, we're in trouble. But wait, there's more. Because there's television. What do we learn about love from Hollywood? And I don't mean Joseph Clements. <laughs> I mean like television, movie screen, what does Hollywood tells us? And so this is a conclusion. I didn't make this up. I don't know where it came from, but I find it so true. If you want to find out what love is on television, this is what it is. This is what I learned about love by watching TV. Love is a feeling you feel when you feel you're going to get a feeling you never felt before. I say all that in all seriousness is because we try to find, hey, get this, we're looking for love in all the wrong places, right? We struggle, what really is love? And if we want to know what love is, we need to go to the author of love. If we want to know what genuine, true love, the Bible says that God is love. In the Greek language, there's three words for love. There's eros, where we derive our English word erotic from. That's kind of more of a lustful love. It's not all bad, by the way. Then there's a phileo love, which is more like a love we have between friends or with siblings. And then there's the agape love. This is the deep, prevailing this is the love that we are to love with. And this is the, the agape love is what I really want to talk to you about this morning. And to understand what agape love is, I want to talk about the nature of love. The nature of love. How, can, how, does, how does love in the Bible, how does it present itself that we can kind of grasp what this love is, some characteristics? Well, we first and foremost see that love is self-sacrificing. I want you to notice from a very famous scripture in the Bible, John 3, 16, says that for God so loved, agape love, the world, that he gave as a sacrifice something that was so precious, so valuable to him, his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Agape love is not about self. It's about others. It's about making a great sacrifice for the benefit and well-being of someone else. But there's two things about this self-sacrificing love I want you to grasp this morning. One, it's a choice. It's not a feeling you feel that you have something about you never had a feeling before type of love. It's a choice. God chose to love us. Do you understand that? God chose to love you. Secondly, it's unconditional. God chose a sinful world to love. 
and he sacrificed for every man, woman, and child. Didn't matter who you were, what your status in society was, not what whatever bad you did. God loves you. He demonstrated it. He chose unconditionally and sacrificed his only begotten son for you. Is there any greater love than that? No. So husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a self-sacrificing love that we choose unconditionally. We love our wives. We love. But women, you're not off the hook. The older women, according to Paul, when he's writing to T Titus, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. It's a self-sacrificing choosing unconditionally to love an individual. Now, there's probably a time or two Jenny had looked at me and said, I love you, but I don't like you right now. We probably said that to our children too. But we are to love with a self-sacrificing love now, how, why is this important? Because of the commitment. A commitment. It's really important in marriage. I chose to love Jenny Dornan. She captured my heart at a very young age. She was beautiful inside and out. We're moving up from Taco Bell for lunch. And sometimes in marriage, we know that both spouses can be ugly to each other every once in a while. With age, you know, we kind of lose our youthful appearance. But I still think she's as beautiful as the day I married her. I choose to love her every day. Even when she wakes up and her hair is like this. <laughs> I choose to love her. And that's very important in relationships. To have that type of deep commitment. But what we find, though, it is a mark of a disciple, this type of love. Seems to be rare in the world, according to the 80s music and what we see on television, right? But Jesus says, look, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So we can still have this same type of love in our human relationships. Just as I have loved you. And boy, let me tell you, the apostles were hard-headed and selfish creatures, but Jesus chose to love them. He says, you also are to love one another in the same way I love you, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, I was in the military. You know how you could tell I was in the military? By my haircut and my uniform. I can't fit into it now. I've outgrown it. I don't want to try. But I thought I looked good in my uniform. At least that's what my wife would tell me. She goes, you look good. Especially in my dress, you know, the dress greens. It's very nice. But you could tell I was a soldier by what I wore. 
And so the mark of a disciple is by our demonstration of love. Unlike the world's love, that I, I, could, I, could, I could love my best friend even sometimes when he disappoints me. Sometimes he does actions that discourage me. I can love him. I can love him even when he does wrong. And that could hold true for our spouses as well. To love in such a manner. So different than the world type of love. And love, it's, it's the motivations of our actions. Notice Jesus said in Matthew 27, 22, 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So God loves us with an agape love. We are to love God with that same type of love. Has God ever disappointed you? Look, God's faithful and perfect, but I'm pretty sure we've been disappointed about things. We prayed about something and become angry at God. You know you have to love Him. That's the greatest commandment. You love Him with your entire being. There's things I don't understand. There's things I want answers to. There's things I, I just, I just, I don't know why they are. But I don't necessarily need all the answers. I just need to trust God and love Him. And with that same type of love, this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like unto it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we love God, and we love others with this same self-sacrificing love. And it's this love that motivates our hearts. This love for God, this love for others. And that's why we do the things we do is because we love our spouses, we love our children, we love our neighbors. It's because God's love has got a hold of us. And so look what Paul said in our text in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. All I'm doing is making noise. And if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I've gained nothing. Love is to be the prevailing motivator and motivation of our life. It's because God loved us and we loved Him, which then in turn should cause us to love others, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our friendships. Or which is a stranger walking down the street, we are to demonstrate love. A self-sacrificing we choose to love, and it's unconditional. So I want to look at just briefly what the activity of love is like. If we sacrifice ourselves, 
We choose to love others unconditionally. What does it look like? How does it work? How does it behave? How does it act? And I'm going to go through this list quite rapidly because there's a lot of things. And I want to divide it in two sections, what love is and what love is not. And so love is patient. Patient. This type of love is a love that has a long fuse. Have you met people with a short fuse? Something doesn't go right. They get angry quickly. But the idea of patience is that it accepts injury without the desire for revenge. Look, if you've been around people, people are going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to say things mean about you. And patience is having a long fuse we're just not going to slap the other person back. You know, I'll have to admit, I have said some not very nice things to my wife when we were younger. And she loved me anyway. Forgive me, honey. She loves me anyway. She has a very long fuse. I mean, almost 33 years. She still, she still puts up with me. But it has a very long fuse. Aren't you thankful that God has a long fuse? <laughs> I just wonder how many times if, if God did a short fuse, you know, here I am in the world, he can take me out any time. But he's been so patient with me. And we're to be patient with one another. even in Little Rock traffic. Love is kind. Love is kind. This kind of gives us an idea of, of being friendly and gracious. But really, the idea is it desires for the well-being and comfort of others. It's kind. I remember one time in my first pastorate, trying to meet people, trying to, trying to greet people, and I went to Costco. I don't know why I was there at Costco, but I was coming out, and I had, there was this, this woman that was taking this big old cart, and she, it seemed like she had a million kids surrounding her. And she had big items, and kids were diving out of the cart. I, I, that might be a little over-exaggeration, but they almost fell out, you know. She's, doing, she's trying to get them in the car, her stuff out, and you can just tell that she's flustered, and everything. I didn't know this woman, and I was very cautious because I didn't want to be the creeper, you know. But I said, can I help you get your stuff in your car? And I helped her. I was being kind because I could see that, boy, she needed some help. You know, there's nothing wrong with being kind to people. It's loving. You're looking out for their well-being, their best interests. Because you see, in relationships, if you're just looking to be, it's all about me, 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 you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to have a wonderful, wonderful marriage if it's just about you. You're not going to have wonderful friendships that are lifelong if it's just about you. You need to look at the other person. How can I minister? How can I help? How can I be kind to my wife, to my friends, to my children? 
to my neighbor. Love is rejoicing with the truth. Rejoicing with the truth. The first part of that, that it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, and I'll get to that in just a moment, but it rejoices with the truth. In other words, John MacArthur says, finding great joy when truth prevails in another's life. Finding great joy when truth prevails in another's life. You know what I love to see? I love to see when people, when the, when, when the truth of God's Word takes hold of their heart and life, that's something to rejoice about. Truth and, 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 and love go right hand in hand. And when, it, when truth impacts another individual's life, it gives reason to be very joyful, very jubilant, and, and, and celebratory. I mean, just think about it. If someone this morning gave their life to Christ, wouldn't we all shout? When they realize that, 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 that God loved them for, for, for all the mess that they are, and they confess their sins, they repent, and they place faith in Christ, and He saves them that very moment, and there's tears rolling down their eyes. It's those other tears of joy, and we would cry along with them, thanking God and praising His name for saving another soul. Love rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. In other words, oh, I want to talk about that just saying. The next four, the next four love is statements has the last part, all things. And I want you to think about it this way. It has no limits. It has no limits. It bears all things. It bears has no limits. It overlooks the faults in others and being silent about them publicly. We all have faults. We all have faults. And sometimes we bear and put up with the faults of others. I'm not saying we put up necessarily or address bad behavior. But we kind of endure some things from people. They're not perfect. But then I'm not going to go and say, oh, my wife, and hear me out, you don't need to tell your bad qualities or faults of your wife to other people. That's not loving. And women, you shouldn't do it about your husbands either. You endure that doesn't mean that, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. But I snore. Not anymore. I got a CPAP. But for years, my wife endured. It's a fault. It's, it's something that, oh, there's many times she got up from bed and slept on the couch because I was so loud. You know, some people chew loud. Some people dress funny. Some, you know, we, we all have faults. We all have different, but we can bear them. We can overlook them, and that, that's an act of love. It believes all things. In other words, giving others the benefit of the doubt. 
We ought to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I, I really, if there's one thing that I really practice is I, when I talk to people, I don't expect them to lie to me. I really give them the benefit of the doubt that what they're telling me is true. Sometimes they're not. But I do try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And think about this in relationships. You know, your you're, 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 you're couple is arguing. I want to give my wife the benefit of the doubt that what she's telling me is true. And vice versa. I want to think the best about her. Hope's all things. No limits. It looks to the future with confidence in another's life. I'm not sure what the future is going to look like exactly. I got a granddaughter on the way. My wife and I are looking forward to that. Adam, someday, Lord willing, a young woman's going to sweep him off his feet. Shouldn't it be the other way around? No, it's right. Some young lady's going to sweep him off his feet. I look, I, I, loving is looking future positively. Look what the future can hold. I'm pretty sure when everybody got married in here, when people were married, you looked to the future with great positive, uh, you know, positiveness. That's not a correct word either. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. But you know what I mean. You are positive, like, this, things are going to be great. But can I just warn you? Not all the time is your relationship going to be great. The honeymoon ends. Life begins. And you're taking two people with different expectations, different model of what marriage looks like. You put them together. You shake it up, and they learn, oh, I can't leave my socks on the side of the, the laundry hamper. I should probably put them in. It kind of makes her happy. Or, you know, the wife, it might take her a little while to get ready. It, it, we, we just start to learn each other, and, and we learn to live together, and there might be some arguments. Can I, one of the very first arguments Jenny and I got into, I was sharing this the other day, and I couldn't tell you exactly what I, how I responded, but I remember I was in the military. We haven't been living, you know, we got married. I was gone for seven months, by the way, our first year of marriage. Jenny said our first marriage was the best of our marriage. <laughs> but we got together, you know, it, it was actually started, you know, actually being husband and wife, living together. And uh, I come home one day, and I had a 32-ounce Dr. Pepper in my cup. And I come in, and she goes, where's mine? Here? I didn't think about her. I didn't. But from that day forward, I never come home without something for her that I get for myself. But you should look to great things in marriage. So many wonderful blessings, and we look forward 
to the great things that God will do in and through our marriage. We endure all things. We endure all things. What does this mean? We press on in spite of the obstacles. We don't quit when things get hard. In fact, I would hope that we enter marriage that divorce is not in our vocabulary. It happens. There's reasons that divorce happens. I get it. But if two people are, are wanting to be committed to one another and loving one another, we shouldn't let the difficulty separate us. We work through it. We press on in spite of the obstacles. We keep on keeping on. We, we endure all things. So let's quickly talk about what love is not. Love does not envy. It's not jealous. In other words, it's, it's not burning with envy, but rather delighting in the success of someone else. Someone gets promoted, you know, my, my, my wife, you know, is acknowledging something, she, she, she's, she, she's growing, like right now, uh, my, you know, Jenny, she, she's involved in all these Bible studies, sometimes I wonder how I can fit myself into her schedule, but from that, I, 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 see, I see the spiritual growth, I see her excitement, and I want to celebrate that, I'm not jealous over it. In fact, I'm not even jealous when sometimes she brings to the table something that she's right about. Because oftentimes she is right. I'm not, I don't, I'm not jealous over that. I have friends who, who, who you know, are, are good friends. Like when I was, you know, promoted among my friends, my peers, before they were, and I became their supervisors, you know, they weren't jealous. They, man, they made me look good because they loved me. So love has no envy. It's not jealous. It's not bragging. It's not boasting. In other words, it, it does not put itself on display for embellishments. Like, look good, look, look how good, look at how good I am, right? Look at what all I've accomplished. There's a parable Jesus shared about a Pharisee and a publican that went to go pray. You know what the Pharisee said? The Pharisee said, "Oh Lord, you know how good I am." I give all that I have. I fast twice a week, and I'm thankful that I'm not like this publican. Oh, look how good I am. I'm bragging. I'm going to church. Look how good I am. Look what I'm doing. That's not love. All the while, this publican's sitting there beating on his chest saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Love has great humility. It's not arrogant. It's not arrogant. It does not have an inflating attitude that I'm better than you. Like, I am holier thou than you. I have a little tease with a friend of mine. I graduated from the Missionary Baptist Seminary in Little Rock, and he graduated from Fresno Missionary Baptist Institute, and when we first met, we were teasing each other. And I just kind of went to him, kind of arrogantly. I did, seriously, true story. And I said, huh, your name's Sean? I hear you graduated from FBI. He said, yep. I said, why, well, I was from the Missionary Baptist Seminary in Little Rock. I was teasing with him. 
joking, but we can have kind of an inflated attitude about ourselves, can't we? We can. Rude. Love is not rude. In other words, it doesn't act unbecomingly. It kind of speaks to poor manners and rude conduct. You ever been rude to people? Hmm? Rude? We've been rude to people probably a time or two. Kind of probably did things that were not proper. In fact, I'm still trying to learn all this Arkansas culture stuff. So be patient with me. Sometimes I'm just learning what's proper in the South. And uh, my son-in-law, we're influencing him. He finally said in a text message, y'all, we're working. But love is not rude to your spouse, to your friends, to your children. It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't insist on its own way. It seeks the benefit of others and not just for self. Notice what Paul said in Philippians 2, 3-4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on to the things of his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Look, if you want to love well, you want to love your wife, men, well, put her interests above your own. Ladies, if you want to love your husband well, put his interests above your own. It's amazing when both husband and wife puts their interest above each other. What a sweet, sweet marriage that could be. Because it's just not about self. Love is not provoked. It's not irritable. The ESV translates it. John MacArthur said, it's not resorting to anger as a solution to difficulties between myself and others. When I was younger, the only way I knew how to express my frustration was angry, anger. When the kids were little, I don't, I, I, for the life of me, I cannot remember what this was about. We laugh about it today. We had this little kitchen table with chairs, and I got upset. This is, I got upset, and I took the table, and I flipped it, and I broke the chairs. You know how foolish I felt? I don't know, it was something that I just, I didn't get my way or something, and I got angry about it. That's not very loving. Don't hold that against me, by the way. I've matured since then. Love is not resentful. Resentful, in other words, it does not keep a record of all the wrongs suffered to be used against the other person. Right? They do wrong, they apologize, and you don't just keep holding it over their head and use it as a manipulative tool to get your way. Right? Because when you forgive someone, you let it go. You don't continually to hold, you know, hold it over their head. So that way you can make them feel guilty and shame and They'll be at your beck and call. No, it's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness either. In other words, we should not take pleasure at conduct which gives us the opportunity to lecture them or rebuke them about their wrongdoing. 
We don't take pleasure in wrongdoing. We're not necessarily getting them off, but, but, but we shouldn't take pleasure at, you know, when someone does wrong, like, you know, you know, like, I can't wait till my kids mess up so I can just really lecture them. I'm not taking joy in that when they do something wrong. Um, but it also gives the idea that I don't, I don't necessarily want to, you know, involve myself in things that are unrighteous or engage in them at all. But I want to rejoice in it. And when someone does wrong, I'm not going to rejoice. When someone stumbles and falls and plant, face plants in their unrighteousness, no, I want, to, I want to have a broken heart about it and help them, pick them back up, come alongside them and help restore them to a right relationship with God. Love is permanent. It never ends. See, what Paul was telling them about love, I can do all these wonderful things, but if, if love doesn't prevail in my life, it means nothing. And many things are going to go away. What they ministered with in the first church, whether it was by you know, miracles, all that thing, it was, they, they were ceasing to be. And there were three things that were going to remain. Faith, hope, and love. And love was going to prevail the most. And it was always going to remain. And when I think about love as permanent, I want love to remain in the relationships that I have with others. I'm going to make a commitment to love always. I'm not going to allow love to end in my life because God's love for you never ends. And it never fails. If I want to see change in the people around me, you know what I'm going to do? Is I'm going to love them like God loves them. In my marriage, I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. With my children, I'm going to love them to the best of my ability as Christ loves them. To my friends and to my neighbors, I'm going to love them like Christ loves them. Not always do I do it perfectly, but because God loves me in a very self-sacrificial way, He gave Jesus on the cross of Calvary for me and for you. And if God loves me this way, and now He wants me to love others that way, I want to love God, and I want to honor Him by loving others. I want to glorify God in my life, and I can glorify God by ensuring that my wife is the most precious woman and vessel in the world to me and to love her and cherish her and honor her. I made a commitment to her. I made a choice. I'm going to do it self-sacrificially and unconditionally. I'm not going to love my wife because she loves me. I'm going to love her 
because I choose to love her, because Christ loves her. Even if she acts unlovingly, I'm going to love her. She could be mean and cruel, I'm going to love her. She's not, by the way. It's not a 50-50 proposition. I'm going to love her unconditionally. And that is the type of love that God would want us to have in marriage and among friends and with our children and with our neighbor down the street is to love them well and to love them like Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, are you loving well? What does love have to do with it? Everything. Husbands, are you struggling to love your wife? Love her like Jesus. Seek her and see her as Jesus sees her. As precious. And love her. Set self aside. And fulfill her needs. Wives, you're struggling with your husbands? Love him and all his imperfections. Love him like Christ loves him. Parents, you struggle with your children at times? Any parent not struggle with their children? If so, we need to have you speak at our next conference. But sometimes our children are unlovable. You know what I'm saying? But we love them anyway. Our friends, have you ever been hurt deeply by a friend? We love them. We might have to set boundaries, but we love them. We don't want any ill will towards them. How about the neighbor down the street? You realize that how you demonstrate love to them might be the very thing that brings them to Christ. Love has everything to do with it. And I pray that you love well. And so as we stand this morning and we have this time to reflect upon the Word of God, I just simply want to ask you, Are you loving well? If this morning that you're here and and maybe you've come to realize the love of God for the very first time, that He loves you, He gave Himself for you, He died for you, and He wants to save you. I know that Pastor Lynn, Pastor Aaron, and I would love to speak to you about how much God loves you.